Greetings and blessings in the name of the Lord Jesus again today. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark again, chapter 7. I'm still impressed with Jesus' compassion to the people, and um, both to the multitudes and to the disciples, and how that he takes care of them, how he thought of them, how he met their need, both emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And uh, just a, a marvel, I've been, the Lord has just been impressing my mind the past week on those thoughts as well. And I've just, uh, just been blessed as I think about and I just assured, and I think there's a reason for that. I think the Lord is uh, just reminding me that, God, that Jesus is seeing across the distance and uh, he is, he is um, uh, seeing with compassion and meeting the need. <clears throat> Chapter 7 of Mark, verses 1 through 23, beginning to read. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lip, lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, than many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a, if a man shall say to his father or mother, It is, a, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things ye do, do ye. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from without a man that entereth into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into his belly. And goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. From, for from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. Now, there's a subject before us 
That's uh, a little more difficult to talk about, but nonetheless we need to address it because it is here. <clears throat> and we have to look inward and see of ourselves. Now, lest I forget, lest I forget something that came to me, something that clicked to me here in the Sunday school lesson was as we were talking about the spirits and and uh, trying the spirits to see whether they are of God. Um, now the Pharisees and the scribes, as he talks about in verse 1, and that's the compass of our um, study today, and uh, they were very religious people as we see in the reading here. Now, in, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he talks there about... Um, Knowing the spirits, I'll have to just turn back to that. Uh, Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is it in the world. And when John was writing this, the Antichrist was in the, in the world before he wrote this. Now there's something that clicked. Now I haven't always thought about the Pharisees and the scribes as being Antichrists or necessarily being false prophets. But the truth of it is, that here Jesus was right before their eyes. And Jesus, the Son of God, in the flesh, was speaking right directly to them, and they didn't see it. They, they were at, of the persuasion that this cannot be the Son of God. This cannot be the Messiah. And so they, they do not confess that Jesus is come in the flesh. So we have to just simply conclude that the Pharisees, the Rabbonic religion, is false. Now, I hope you don't mind me getting so strong with that. And uh, I, I know I've thought about it before, but it just hit me again. That brings a seriousness to the situation. <clears throat> well, so much for that. <clears throat> uh, we may do well to ponder on that just a moment. <clears throat> I was thinking about well, who could John have been possibly writing about false spirits? You know, in our day, we see it abundant. We have all kinds of religions in our world. And, and many of those religions do not confess Jesus come in the flesh. And we have to conclude that they're false. I wonder. I wonder if it's a possibility. It's a possibility for us to not confess that Jesus come in the flesh. What all does that include? Oh, may God help us. 
I, I believe I believe there's many a person somehow uh, these things are just coming. I have not premeditated this, but it seems to me that that there are many people that would confess that Jesus come in the flesh, and yet God will say to them at the end, "I never knew you." That's awful. It's awful when we think about that. <clears throat> it seems to me like there's something we need to study this thing a little bit harder. Because it seems to me like the confession of Jesus coming in the flesh has more to do than with my lip service. <clears throat> I think it's needless for me to remind us of that. But there it is. Um, <clears throat> now, let's go back to her. Let's go back to Mark 7. At verse, uh, well, Mark uh, chapter 6 and verse 53 in our last message. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of the Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him. Now, um, now let me, let me just point out maybe a needless detail here as well. But, but the disciples were out on the boat, uh, were rowing, were toiling, uh, against the wind and the waves, and Jesus comes on the water, and the disciples cry out for fear of the Spirit, and Jesus immediately comforts them, says, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. What a compassionate friend. Oh, what a beloved friend. Well, then, then Jesus gets into the ship with them, and the wind immediately ceases. And... Of course, they're now traveling over to the other side. <clears throat> and verse 54, and when they came out of the ship, straightway they knew him. Now, if you read it just on the surface, you might think that, so finally the disciples wake up to the fact that, oh yeah, this is Jesus. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's not what he's saying. He's simply saying that when Jesus comes off the ship onto the land and the people meet him, they recognize, hey, this is Jesus. And so they run throughout all the regions and they bring in the sick. And they said, if, if, if people can just touch Jesus, they'll be healed. And as Jesus walked by on the streets and their roads, they, those that were sick, lame, maimed, or halt, reached out and they touched Jesus. It says there, and as many as touched him were made whole. Uh, that's a beloved scripture. The question is for me this morning, have I touched Jesus? Am I made whole? Have you touched Jesus this morning? And have, be, have you been made whole? We can touch him. We can touch him with our spiritual hand. And Jesus is there waiting to heal us and make us whole. Now it's an awful life. It's an awful life to not be whole. It's an awful life to be sick. But <clears throat> Jesus is able to make us whole. Now, then came together. Oh, he, he, was, he was in the business of healing in people. And this is all a part of his outpouring compassion upon people. And then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. Now they came after Jesus. And that in itself 
gives us the idea and the picture that the Pharisees and certain of the scribes came to Jesus not to seek to be made whole, but for some other intent. They went after Jesus. They come from Jerusalem. I don't know how many miles they traveled. I don't know how what the distance was. It's really immaterial to me, but it might be of interest to you. But they come to Jesus from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. And that's really the reason they came. Uh, If they wouldn't have come with an eye to find fault with an evil eye, is a term that Jesus used later. If they would not have come with an evil eye, they would probably have not even noticed that the disciples hadn't washed their hands before they ate. Now, there's something other interesting about this passage, about this washing of hands. And please let me be clearly understood, young children, uh, middle-aged people and older ones, when mother calls us to the table and says, dinner is ready, and we come running to the table, and we've not washed our hands, and our, we might have smudges on our face. And mama says, now listen boys, you need to go wash your hands and your face before you come to the table. And now you, don't not, you do not retort back to mother and say, well Jesus said, we, don't have, we, can, we can eat with unwashed hands. That's not what Jesus is talking about. No, Jesus is not talking about, not physically. He's, Jesus is never condemning the, 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 the hygiene. Uh, the, the, Jesus is never condemning that we go wash our hands before we eat. What, what, what the Pharisees are simply saying here is that when in their line of, of duty... And their spirituality, they didn't, they didn't just go to the sink and wash their hands and then sit down and, and, and eat. No, it was not a matter. They, they, did, they washed their hands and then, then they rolled up their sleeves and then they would sprinkle, they would go to another basin and they would sprinkle their arms up to the elbows all over, and then they would wipe them with the fist. They would, they would use a fisting, as I understood, and as I understand what I've studied in, in from, from um, uh, Jewish history and, and how that they, their ceremonial uh, washings were. And so it was more than just washing your hands in the sink and drying them on a towel and sitting down and eating. <clears throat> And, and I stand to be corrected. I, 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 the gospel doesn't tell us this. I'm simply taking that from other man's studies and so forth. So I stand to be corrected on that. However, it does make a lot of sense because the, disciples, the Pharisees uh, just over-exaggerated. The reason they do that, the, the reason it was done, is because the more that you would wash, the holier person you were. And so, I'm going to take us to Peter. Now, all of us have upbringing baggage, okay? 
And I don't want to call it all baggage either, because that, that gives us a negative connotation. But all of us have, uh, we see the scriptures in light of what we were taught. And um, be that as it may, I think, I think God brings us to places where, where we learn and grow. And, and we have a great advantage uh, having been brought up in Christian homes and being taught the scriptures and so forth. I think God requires more of us. But, but Peter said to Jesus, uh, Oh, Jesus, don't, don't, don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. And so Peter jumps to the conclusion, Well, not my feet only, but my hands and my head as well. Just wash everything. And the Pharisees, when Moses' law said to wash their hands, well, that's not quite good enough. That's the, I want to be more spiritual. And so I wash my hands again, and I wash my hands again, and not just down up to my wrists. I wash my hands up to my elbows. The more I can wash, the more spiritual I am. You see, that, that, that's, that's the direction that that goes. And, and so they lost they lost totally what God had intended for the people to understand when God had, had commanded Moses for them, for the priests to wash their hands. And that is that, that there was significant, it was symbolic to, to, for, for God to cleanse and to wash their hearts. And to make them one with Him. God, God wanted the Israelites' hearts. He wanted their worship. He wanted their obedience. He wanted their, he wanted their reverence. He, he, wanted, he wanted their all. He wanted, he wanted to be supreme in, in, in His people's lives. And so he, he, he gave to the Israelites. He gave to them through Moses. All these laws and commandments and, and to wash their hands. And that would have been sufficient enough to wash their hands before they ate by the commandment of Moses. And God would have seen it as suffice. But they focused on the washing on the hands. And so in order for me to be more spiritual, more holy, more righteous with God, I wash my hands again. And again, and again, and again. And I understand that at times, it was up to seven times. <clears throat> and on all of their washings, they lost the meaning and the purpose of what God had really intended for them to understand. <clears throat> it is very true. It is very it is, this is also needless for me to remind us. But it's also very possible for us to come before our brother and wash his feet and totally miss the significance of that, of that symbolic uh, act. It's possible. And how is that possible? It's possible because somebody is not teaching the principles of that symbolic act. And we somehow miss it. <clears throat> and many a people, many a people uh, have, have laid that act, that symbolic act aside, meaning saying that, well, it really has lost its significance. Anyhow, there's really no purpose in it. 
Does that mean that we throw it all out? Someone has used the term, throw out the baby with the bathwater. Well, be that as it may, but, but, but I believe that, that God wants us, God is not, Jesus is not condemning the Pharisees for the washing that the, that the law of Moses had given them, but the fact that they had, they had overexerted and, and over, over abundantly beyond what Moses had commanded and, and they, were, they had totally lost the significance of what God had wanted for them. And so I, I, I don't have any doubt that the disciples didn't physically wash their hands to sit down to eat. But they didn't go through all those rituals before they sat down to eat. And that's the problem the Pharisees had. You see, because they had an evil eye, they were looking for something. And that's what they found. And so they jump on it. And Jesus gives it to them. And they had all kinds of things. And Mark takes the pains to, to just elaborate a little bit more so that we understand the setting. And it's not just the fact of washing hands before you eat. But he goes on and explains and receive, uh, receive to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. And, and, and if you, if you read back through the law that God had given to Moses, there are laws and laws and laws. I remember as a young, as a boy at home, uh, reading through family devotions, reading through the scriptures and those Old Testament stories and, and some of those, uh, chapters in Deuteronomy. I mean, I'm sorry, but I, was kind of lost uh, because law after law after law after law after law and and on and on and on and we 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 you know today we read that and we think well you know what's it pertaining to us but 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 listen but listen beloved <clears throat> God had given to them all of those laws for a purpose and and God God wanted that, 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 that to be a means of bringing hearts to Him. And, and so, um, however, it was missed. And so Mark is taking the pain to explain to us that it's not just the washing of hands. It wasn't just this one thing. And Jesus uh, elaborates on that as well. He says uh, a number of times, different times He says, and many such like things He do. And so this is only one example. You know, the Pharisees and scribes want to throw one thing at Jesus. Well, they have many other things, and Jesus knows that as well. And so he teaches on that one specific thing. He stays with the subject, but he also includes that there are many other things such like that you do. It just so happened that that day his disciples violated that one um, law that they had uh, concocted of their own selves. Then um, Jesus says, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of man. We could look at a number of scriptures in the Old Testament. I think of one of the prophets that says that, that God is loathsome with their sacrifices because they worship him by their, by their ritualities and simply their heart is far from them. But I want to take us back to Isaiah 29. Turn with me there. Isaiah 29. 
verses 13 through 16. Jesus is quoting the prophet. Jesus uses scripture and uh, the apostles use scripture a number of times. Um, This is the scriptures that they'd have is the Old Testament laws and and the prophets' writings and so forth. Uh, Isaiah 29, verse uh, 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near with me, draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men therefore behold I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people even a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord and their works are in the dark and they say who seeth us and who knoweth us. Surely your turning of up things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay for shall the work say of him that made it he made me not or the thing that that the thing framed say unto him that framed it he hath no understanding. So we have to conclude by that scripture of the prophet Isaiah. Even as it was in the, as the children of Israel were in the days of old. So they're, they're no common shaft. They're, they're generations following. They walked in the same way. They, they, they honored God with their lips, but their heart was far from them. And God said to the children of Israel back then, through the prophet Isaiah, that he's going to do a marvelous work among them. And now I say maybe a better understanding for us in our language today would be that God is going to do a terrible work among them rather than a marvelous work. However, it is a marvelous work in the sense that that the wise, the wisdom of men, God's going to cast it down and he's going to take away their understanding. And so, beloved, I have to only conclude this, that if you and I go against the Scriptures and we close our eyes to the, to the fact that Jesus come in the flesh, then we, we blind our own eyes. We blind our spiritual eyes. And we're not able to see the Scriptures that we used to see, that used to be clear to us. God gives us... God, I believe that when you and I come before God and we truly seek His face, we want to know the truth of His Word. God will illuminate our path and He will take us further in the truth of His Word. But you, the reverse side is also true. When you and I deter and turn away from the truth that you and I already know, God will blind the very truth that we do know. And thereby, thereby, the one that has much will be given more, and the one that has nothing, even that which he hath, will be taken away. All those, all those the parables that Jesus taught had a real lesson and they all linked together. It's amazing. It's amazing as I think of that. I believe this is a point in time when Jesus was just a bit frustrated with his pe- with the people, with the scribes and Pharisees, because how is it that the, that they have never learned? And in, 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 um, I think I think if we would uh, uh, do some calculations, I think it go back to at least seven uh, generations. And Jesus, uh, Jesus in his mind says that this seven generations ago, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about this, and you have not learned anything since then. You're still in the same rut. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> verse 14 through 
Verse 8 says, For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of man, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. <clears throat> and so, he says to them further, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Full well, perfectly. I wished, I wished I would understand other languages. I wonder what the Spanish or the German would have to say there. I feel a little bit handicapped. I wished I would know those things, but so be it. I'll do the best that I can. But he says there, he means their full will. He means perfectly. In fact, he uses the same word back up in, in verse 6 when he says, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. Well, perfectly or rightly, Isaiah prophesied about you. And then he uses the word again in verse 9. Full well, fully, completely, rightly, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. In other words, it gives me the idea that it's a determination. They want to walk in darkness because it pays well. There's a lot of fame that goes with it. And it feels good to be a spiritual Pharisee and wash my hands at least seven times before I sit down and eat. Is it any wonder, is it any wonder that the publican and the Pharisee go to the house of God to pray and the publican smotes his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the Pharisee prays, God, I thank thee that I'm not like that man. Oh, help the need if we ever get to the place of him. I thank God that I'm not. And so he honors God with his lips. But his heart ain't there. It's not there. And Jesus said, the one coming away, the, the publican come away justified. Well, <clears throat> I thought that was an interesting note as I looked at that, those words. Well, completely, perfectly, perfectly. And so, <clears throat> that's something for us to think about. And Jesus, Jesus brings in another side that I think I think this was disturbing to Jesus to see to see all the money at the treasury put into this treasury and all these wealthy men dropping all their monies in there. And he knew full well, he knew full well there were widows that were starving to death in his day. He knew full well there were mothers and fathers in the Jewish religion that had need and they were not being taken care of. And he knew what the law of Moses said. And Jesus gives it to him right here. And he says, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he so curses father or mother, let him die the death. And we might think, Well, they didn't curse mother and father. Yes, they did in the sense that they didn't take care of them. That's strong words, I understand. But we need to hear it. But ye say, Jesus said, but you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother. Or in other words, he's free. He don't, he don't have to take care of his mother and father no more. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. And many such things you do. <clears throat> Now, I don't like to do quotations. 
I like to put things in my own words, but this was so good, I, ca- I cannot pass it up. Let me read. It's a little bit lengthy of a quotation, but I'm going to read. I don't know who to attribute to here, but listen carefully. But you say, if a man shall say to his father or his mother that whither, that wherewith thou mightest have been profited by me is Corban, that is to say, given to God. These words, that is to say, given to God, are St. Mark's explanation of Corban. You no longer suffer him to do aught for his father or his mother, making void of the word of God by your tradition, which ye have delivered. Now this the scribes and Pharisees did, did for their own covetous ends. For most of them were priests who received offerings made to God as his ministers and then converted them to their own uses. In this they greatly erred because the, obli- the obligation of piety by which children are bound to support their parents when they need it is in is a part of the law of nature to which every vow every oblation ought to be ought to yield thus if anyone have devoted his goods to god and his father or his mother become needy those goods ought to be given to his parents and not to the temple the word korban is a hebrew word meaning that which is brought near a gift or offering to god Hence, figuratively, the place where these offerings were deposited was called the Corbanas, or sacred treasury. As we'll see in in, uh, Matthew uh, 19, verse 6. Hence to say in anything, hence to say of anything, it is Corban, was to say that it was a prior and more sacred designation, or that it had. In other words, the gift that was given to the Corbanas, or was placed in the Corbanas, uh, was, uh, or the sacred treasury, uh, was, had a, had a, a prior and a more, uh, uh, sacred designation. And when it was something that a parent might need to say, it is Corban. I'm sorry, let me read that again. The emphasis wasn't quite right there. So that we understand. And when it was something that a parent might need to say it is Corban, it is already appropriated to another purpose, which simply to refuse his request and to deny him assistance, and so to break one of the first of the divine commandments, thus the son, by crying Corban to his needy parents, shut their mouths by opposing to them a scruple of conscience and suggesting to them a superstitious fear. It was as much as to say that what you have asked of me is a sacred thing which I have devoted to God. Beware, therefore, lest you, by asking this of me, commit sacrilege by converting it to your own uses. Thus the parents would be silenced and alarmed, choosing rather to perish of hunger than to rob God. To such extremities did these covetous scribes and Pharisees drive their victims, compelling his son to abstain from any kind offices for his father or his mother. St. Ambrose says, God does not seek a gift wrung out of the necessities of parents. Let me read that again. God does not seek a gift wrung out of the necessities of parents. Let me break from the quotation. Uh, This is so important. God does not seek to be... God does... Listen, listen, beloved. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns the whole world. And why would God want to rob your parents' necessities to accomplish His great work over here when He has all wealth in the world? No. No, no, beloved. 
God is not that unfair. God is not that unjust. But they had it focused right there. They didn't see any father. And it was for the priest's own um, um, filthy lucre's sake. That's what Paul writes to Timothy about the qualifications for a minister. And it must be free from that. Filthy lucre. And that's what he's talking about. And the priests did that for filthy lucre's sake. It was to fill their own pockets. Now, quoting again. Making void, literally depriving it of its authority, annulling. In Galatians 3 verse 17, the same word is rendered disannul. By your traditions. The traditions, that is, by which they taught children to say Corban to their parents. Observe the words, your tradition. Your tradition as opposed to those divine traditions which God has sanctified and His church has handed down from the beginning and many such like things you do. This is added by St. Mark to fill up the outline and to show that this was only a sample of the many ways in which the commandment of God was twisted, distorted, and annulled by these rabbinical traditions. End of quote. Well, enough said on that. But it made it very clear to me what that Corbin thing was. I always had a question about that. What what is that gift? And there's simply the 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 priests and Pharisees. uh, scribes were simply saying that, well, it's de- your money. Your money is already designated to it as a specific call. It has, it's, it's in the temple. I can't help my needy parents. And so the parents die of, die of starvation or have some other need in some way. The law of Moses required the children to take care of their older parents. And Paul reiterates that in the New Testament. When he says it is... It is um, 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 if, if any man provide not for his own, he is worse than an infidel. And that include I know he's specifically talking about widows right there, but I believe it, call, it, it includes our children and our parents. God asks us to take care of our own families, of our own people. And yes, yes, unless you take it wrong, he, he, he asks us to reach out and help others as well. But I want to drive that point home. Sometimes we overstep our boundaries to do a wonderful and great thing. How many a person, many a person wants to give a million dollars to some big world famous uh, organization, but he fails to help the needy right among them. Beloved, I say, shame on us if that's the case. Shame on us. <clears throat> We're no better than the Pharisees if we do the, such things. I know there's no, there's no recognition, there's no honor, there's no glory, there's no prestige, there's no lifting up, there's no uh, uh, media blowing up about helping your neighbor. But so be it. I believe that God asks us to minister at home and then to go further and further and further. <clears throat> Well, Jesus had just given us an example in the last last chapter 
Well, he taught the people and they were listening and they were hearing. They were hearing to his words. They were there. They, their bodies grew hungry. He did not leave them uh, to starve of die, uh, to die of starvation. But Jesus met their need. And so, beloved, we cannot overstep the bounds and, and, and do this one good thing while we neglect the need of other. I, how is it? You, you'll never, you can teach all you want, but if the person dies before you, what good is your teaching going to do? Teach a man. Teach a man. But feed him. Feed him so that he continues to teach others. I think... I think our mission endeavors ought to do both. We need to hand them food and take care of their physical bodies and give them the Word of God. I'll refrain to say what I just thought next. Let me continue on here. If you wonder about it, I'll tell you privately. But what goes across this pulpit has too much publicity. So I can't say it. Well, when he called the people together, verse 14, let's gather back together in verse 14. He called all the people to him. He said, and I think in this discourse, he simply wooed the people away a bit. But he calls them together, or at least calls attention to them. Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile a man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. <clears throat> and the disciples, when they, when they come back to the house, said, oh, Jesus, what was that parable that you were talking about? And sometimes we get a little bit hard on the, on the, the, on the disciples. You know, we, we tend to think they're just so forgetful. They just don't, somehow don't pay attention. Somehow it doesn't sink in. Well, I'm here to just confess that I find myself the same way. You know, maybe you don't, but I, I find myself. And, and sometimes, I'm going to give the disciples the benefit of the doubt. I think in verse 18, when Jesus reprimands them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into his belly, and goeth out into the draught, and purging all meats? Now, Jesus was right in his exposition there. I think sometimes we overthink. Uh, Sometimes we have a quiz as a family. And um, we play that game, we quiz, and we have a simple question. And all of a sudden we think, 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 think. Oh, I just can't think. And we, we overthink. And Jesus is simply saying, no, disciples, it's so simple. No, what you eat goes into your mouth, goes into your stomach, goes through your digestive system. It purges all meats. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we understand that. Oh, yeah. Then the light bulbs go on. You see, sometimes we overthink. And, and, and sometimes, as Jesus gave them parables and parables and parables and parables and many wonderful works and many wonderful works, the disciples, 
at times were left scratching their heads and thinking, now what is Jesus meaning by that? And oftentimes it's simple, it's just the simple things in life. And now, now let me just say to this, that, that that's sometimes the way the gospel is as well. We, we, we make a hard thing out of the gospel. But beloved, if we just simply give our lives, so we surrender our wills, our whole life to the Lord Jesus, we ask him to be pilot of our life. We, we ask him to take control. We want him to be the supreme. We lay everything at his feet. We are a child of his. And the confirmation of the scriptures is that if we have peace with God, we have no condemnation. Isn't that right, brethren? We oversimplify it. We, 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 we make it a hard thing sometimes. We, we say, well, it's not, we're not quite right there. We're not quite right there. We're not quite right there. That's true. We're on a journey. And, and we're all not quite there yet. I don't care how old you are. Sorry. But we're not quite there yet. And, and, and God is working on us day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. God is bringing us closer to Him, closer to Him. But as far as the salvation is concerned, we walk in the path that He has called us to. We will, he will not lead us astray. Can I get that to us? Uh, maybe it's a struggle of my own heart. Maybe that's why it's such a burden for me. It's because I want to get everything in line. And then we're going to follow, wholly follow Jesus. No, beloved. No, beloved. Holy follow Jesus. And as we wholly follow Jesus, we'll get more in line, more in line, more in line, more in line. I, I, I'm sorry I can't. I'm sorry I don't have an eloquent way for, to explain all this. But please understand. God is not making a hard thing out of the Christian life. And the Pharisees were so oversighted, they missed the very simplicity that Jesus was right before their eyes in the flesh. In their prideful endeavors to become so holy and so righteous in the eyes of men that they forgot to even please God. <clears throat> he says further to the disciples, that which cometh out of the man, and he makes it clearly plain to them. Jesus does not want us to miss this. That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye. Those Pharisees, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Did you realize, and that struck me, the evil eye... An evil eye and foolishness. 
Foolishness is not from without, but foolishness comes from within. St. Mark enumerated, St. Mark's enumeration of evil things is in a somewhat different order from that of St. Matthew. And he adds to St. Matthew's list foolishness, showing how all evil terminates in the loss of all moral and intellectual illumination. I said to us before, in the process, in the downward process, of God taking away even the things that we don't have, Uh, God blinding our eyes to the very truths that we had known. You see, when we come to the place where we do foolish things, because we 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 have darkened our minds. God help us. God help us. And so, he says, all of these, all these evil things come from within, and they foul the man. It was thought sword, a quotation again, last one. It was thought sword and mean to sit down to meals with unwashing hands, whence not the clergy only, but the people wash their hands before prayer. The, the, the moral of all of this is, how carefully is the heart to be guarded, instructed, and adorned, seeing that it is the instrument and laboratory of all evil and all good, of all vice and all virtue. Keep thy heart with all diligence, so that nothing may enter in therein, and nothing go out therefrom, and you not be conscious of it, and your reason may not approve. For out of it are the issues of life. Well, the grueling question comes to us. Are we a part of that? Have we found ourselves in this kind of a situation? Again, I say with assurance, with confidence from the word of God and his promises, that if we seek the word of God, if we seek God's face, which we have a a heart that is turned toward him, God will lead us in the right paths. God will never deceive us. Where does deception come from? comes from Satan. The enemy of our soul. The one that that wants to take us away from God. That's where deception and doubts and fears come from. But love, peace, and joy, happiness comes through Jesus Christ from God. And he will never lead us astray. And so, beloved, let let me encourage us to walk with him faithfully day by day. And seek his face. And we will not go wrong. We will, we will have a re- reward that will be out of this world. We will have a blessed home with Him. May God be glorified. May you be encouraged and enriched and, and, and spurred on to walk in faithfulness with Him. Let us kneel together to pray. Our gracious and holy righteous Father, again, we thank Thee for Thy holy scriptures. Thank Thee for Thy clear teaching to us. But, oh, Father, we pray that You would remove all hypocrisy from us. We pray, Father, that you would guard our hearts. You would help us to be diligent in cooperating with you and uh, uh, keeping clean those things that you put in that are clean and weeding out those things that are ugly and evil. Father, that our hearts can be truly in tune with with thee and um, that we might realize the 
the, uh, the home that you have prepared for us in the time to come. Father, just pray that you would bless your word to our hearts again this day. With thanksgiving we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.